0: Let's go ahead and turn to God's word. Uh, this morning we will be continuing in our series uh, entitled A Kingdom in Search of a King. Uh, this is, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 18 this morning. Coming off of last week, uh, we looked at 1 Samuel chapter 17, which is uh, one of the more infamous uh, stories that is used kind of th- throughout all cultures, really, of David and Goliath, right? The small man kind of uh, beating the big man. But we saw in that last text last week. That David was the champion of the fight, right? This young man was a, a, a the champion of the fight. But we were Chuck said there's many ways to read this, and for us, what it really does is it ties us forward to the grand champion that is coming right after David, who is Jesus Himself. But even in that direct context, we see that David was successful in that battle, and we're going to see today in First Samuel chapter 18 that he continues to be successful. And while David is a primary character of where we are in 1 Samuel, he is pretty passive, actually, in this text. So we're actually we're going to see David being very faithful to the commands of the king. And we're going to see the Lord with him. And he's going to be successful. But the dialogue, what goes on outside of that, is really the primary focus, I think, of the text. And that's the reactions that we see to David's success and the Lord's being with him. And we're going to see love by many people, and then we're going to also see envy on the other side. So the text is long. We're going to look at the majority of chapter 18. I'm going to skip around a little bit, but we're going to look kind of top to bottom. So I'm going to read it in chunks as we go along, but let's go ahead and pray before we begin. Father, we thank you, even as we have heard this morning, the testament of your gospel going out and your faithfulness to reach the nation's. Father, we pray today for our own hearts, that the gospel will come in, that we would see our sin clearly and see how the the gospel covers it. And Father, we need you each day. We pray that as we look to this text today, that we would um, see the beauty of your son, Jesus, see what he has done for us, see what you have done for your people for generation upon generation, and we would cling to you. Father, we thank you for all you've done. For us in Jesus, in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So recently, I read this story about an envious man, and this envious man, he was offered a generous deal. It went like this: make whatever wish you want, and it will be granted. It sounds like what Aladdin, right? Genie in a bottle. Whatever you wish you want, you're gonna have it. But unlike Aladdin, there was a footnote. Whatever you wish for, your neighbor will get twice as much as you. So, this envious man is in a quandary, right? He thinks to himself, if I ask for a million dollars, my neighbor will get two million. If I ask for a 25-room mansion, my neighbor will get a 50-room mansion. Day after day, he thinks, he debates, finally he reaches a decision. I want you to take out one of my eyes. So then my neighbor will have both of his eyes taken out. For I would rather suffer than allow my neighbor to have more than me. This sermon is about envy. It hit me hard this week. If we look in our hearts, we'll realize... The envy is there constantly. That it is really the root, the majority of the fracturing of creation. From the beginning of time, we see Adam and Eve being envious of the knowledge that God had. They said, we want that. I need that. I will do whatever I can to get that. So what did they do? They rebelled. A few chapters later, after being warned, given grace, the people form a tower, the Tower of Babel. The desire to reach God, to make a name for themselves. Time and time and time and time again, this happens in the Scriptures. Where the soil of envy in our hearts will lead people to do whatever it takes to protect themselves, whatever it takes to get what they want. If you're anything like me, you know that this is a very common thing in your own life. In our text today, we see that Saul is envious. He is angry. He's afraid of the threat of his kingdom being taken away. You know, we've talked about this that he has a self focus. He keeps looking within, and it makes him more and more fearful, more and more envious, and it makes him turn further and further away from God. And that's the big idea for today: is that envy causes the heart to turn further and further away from the lord there's three primary sections of this text and david is running throughout like i said but there's three sections we're going to see pretty much everyone in the text loves david i almost named the sermon everyone loves david like everyone loves raymond right but i went in a different direction but that's the truth look at the outline jonathan loves david verses one through five the people love david verses six through sixteen and Michael loves David, verses 20-29. through And what we're going to see in every one of these sections, that all the people love him, but at the same time, Saul's heart is envious in every section. So we're going to see these two really drastic reactions to God's presence with God's anointed. So before we get into the text, let's start with looking at the big picture of the text. Remember, Love and hatred, I want you to think about that as the main two um, competing emotions or reactions, is a, probably a better word, towards God's presence with God's anointed. So David, he, he obeys to the T what the king says. I want you to do this, David. Go to this battle. And he goes. But he is passive. David is successful not because he was active, But because the language runs throughout in the Hebrew about this idea that David was successful because the Lord caused him to be successful. The Lord caused him to be successful. So we're going to see the different reactions here to the Lord's presence with David. Okay, so let's look at the first point. This is Jonathan loves David. This is verses 1 through 5 to begin. Verses 1 through 5 say this. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with him, with David, I'm sorry, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servant. Okay, so coming off the heels of last week, David has conquered Goliath and David now here is given status what we're seeing from the royal family. So Jonathan in the text, is to remind us, this is Saul's eldest son, okay? So Saul, he would be the heir to the throne, right? But the text tells us that he displays deep friendship with David. That his soul was knit to the soul of David. That he loved him as his own soul. They're bound together in friendship, life to life. So much so that Jonathan, he initiates... Remember I said that David is passive... Jonathan is the active one. He initiates a covenant, a lifelong commitment to him. And this is symbolized, this is marked off by the giving of a robe. And in that time, this passing of clothing, passing of a robe in specific would have been the passing of authority. So remember who this is. This is the heir to the throne. It should have been. Jonathan, he's passing the authority to David. He is displaying his love for God's anointed one he is committed to him. I want to back up. So this is a sidebar for us in 2024. I want to recognize how often we will bring our own culture, our own problems in our mind to the text even if it's not there. Okay. In our current context, when you heard Jonathan loved David. Maybe even you saw it on the screen for the first time. As his own soul, where did your mind go? You can be honest. Don't tell me. You can tell yourself. But you be honest, okay? Obviously, we are living in a time now that is accepting and promoting freedom as far as it goes within sexuality. As far as it goes, right? We're not going to dive deeply into that. But I want you to see that. That that's where my mind went, right? It went to these men having an erotic relationship. That's where my mind went when I first read this text because our culture will dive straight into the text if we don't hold it back. It's natural for us to go in that direction because that's the cultural waters that we're swimming in. But we need to recognize this because this would not have been in the minds of the original audience at all. So we've got to read the text for what it is. See, this te- this la- the language in this text actually refers to a deep friendship that is healthy and godly it is commitment to another person this passage is showing a deep heart level love of friendship and commitment to one another and as as foreign as that may be in our culture that's what the text is saying sometimes we have the tendency to to miss our blind spots to say oh it must mean this because of this that's going on but the original audience would not have thought that what we see is that this relationship will continue to grow chapter after chapter, and it is affirmed every single time. So even here at the beginning, Saul himself, the king, sees David's value, right? He keeps him close. So Jonathan loves him, but even Saul's like, okay, this guy conquered Goliath, and he's doing really well, so I'm going to keep him really close to me. This is kind of referring back to chapter 16, where it said that Saul loved David, he made him his armor-bearer. The king sees his value, so he keeps him close at the beginning. Okay, let's go on. The people love David. This is verses 6 through 16. Verses 6 through 9 say this. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Verse 8, And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul eyed David. From that day on. So there's been success in battle. By both men. But the town. The women of the town greet the king. That's what it says. In song. Saul has struck down his thousands. David his ten thousands. Both men have been victorious. But. David takes the gold medal. In these women's eyes. And Saul. Is sulking over second place. This is the point where we see Saul's disposition change towards David. This is where we see the soil of envy begin. He hits a fork in the road. We see people loving David on this side. Jonathan, the people. And now, I'm going to keep my eye on him. Saul responds with anger and displeasure to the song of these people And I want you to imagine Saul hears these songs of the women and he's reminded of the words of Samuel, the prophet. Chapter 15, this is what Samuel says to Saul. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. I know you have lines like that that echo in your head. When they're said to you, I'm giving the kingdom to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. So the women come out chanting, Saul has killed his thousands, David, his 10,000s. And all he can hear is I'm giving it to a neighbor that is better than you. He hears the melody. He has conquered more than you. He doesn't know who the neighbor is, but now maybe he's getting a hint. And his heart turns in anger towards him. I will keep my eye on this man. I'm going to skip down a little bit. Let's get to verses 12 through 16. Verse 12 says this, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand And he went out and came in before the people, and David had success in his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he he went out and came in before them. So we have to summarize little sections in a long text like this. There's a few verses right before this where we see that a harmful spirit rushed upon Saul. So here in verse 12 where we are, Saul is afraid. Why is he afraid? We have to ask that question. Because the spirit of the Lord is with David. A harmful spirit came upon Saul. The spirit of the Lord is with David. What most people are celebrating... The spirit being with David, this victorious warrior, Saul is fearing. He says, I don't have that. Saul's heart is gripped with fear over what he could lose. He is envious of God's presence with David. He fears him. So look what he does. He removes him as the leader of his personal bodyguard. And he sends him out with the general population. This would have been a move that would have put him in more danger And Saul would have known this. So he sends him out to hopefully meet his quiet death. He sends him to die because of his envy. Do you see what envy does to the heart? He goes as far as having a man executed because he is envious of him. It's helpful for us to envy To understand, when we talk about envy, we can go a lot of different directions. Think about jealousy, maybe off the top of your head. I read quite a bit about it. One little phrase helped me is that envy rejoices when others mourn, it mourns when others rejoice, it despises others' successes, and it enjoys others' demise. Saul has conquered his thousands, David has conquered his ten thousands. Saul says, I cannot let that stand. David must die. Yet we see at the end of the section, the Lord is with David, so again he is successful in following the king's command. But seeing David's success causes King Saul to even further fear him. The envy and jealousy in Saul's heart causes him to turn further and further and further away from God. Let's look at the last section. This is Michael Loves David, verses 20 through 29. Verses 20 and 21 to start say this. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, for Saul said to David a second time, now you shall be my son-in-law. Okay, so we have had to skip a little bit. This is actually the second time that Saul has tried this. He first tried to give another of his daughters and to David, and David denied it. We find out here that one of Saul, the other of Saul's daughters, Michael, loves David. Saul seeks to use that love of his daughter for David's demise. Let me send my daughter to him, that she will be a snare for him. This would have made him more vulnerable in the battlefield, more easily used by King Saul. First, Saul tries to send David into battle to be slaughtered. Now he goes about it a different way. Let me use my own daughter his demise, for this will make him more at risk for death from the Philistines. So he goes on, verses 22 through 25. And Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in a private and say, behold, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law and Saul's servants spoke these words in David's ears. And David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? The servants of Saul told him, Thus, and so did David speak. Then Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies." Now Saul fought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. Remember the idea, everyone loves David? We're seeing that over and over again. I'm hoping you get that right. Everyone loves him. Over and over again, we see top to bottom of this text, except for Saul. We're really focusing on envy, but I don't want you to miss it, the other side. Everyone loves him. But still, Saul doesn't let it get to his head. I am a poor man with no reputation, is what he says. How can I be the king's son-in-law? I'm no one. I'm a nobody. I cannot even pay the bride price. Saul's men reply, you don't have to pay the bride price. All I need you to do is slaughter 100 Philistine men. This requirement, again, would have made David more vulnerable to death by the enemy. So he goes on in verses 26 through 29. This is the last text for today. I know it's long. When his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskin, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter, Michael, for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul, and David's in, he was, so Saul was David's enemy continually. Throughout the entire text, who is with David? It's late, in the t- it's late in the sermon. Who is with David? The Lord, right? The Lord is with David. Time and time again, he has success. So here again, he's able to double the required price of 100 slaughtered men and michael Saul's daughter has true love and commitment for him she is no snare so both jonathan who is the firstborn son and his daughter both love and are committed to david and the section ends Saul was even more afraid of david he was his enemy continually Throughout the passage, we see each person love David. At the same time, Saul's envy and jealousy, his fear, it grows and it grows and it grows. And what we see is his actions are really following his envious heart. First, he keeps an eye on David. I have to control this man because I'm worried about him. Next, he sends him out to battle. Maybe he will die there. Third, he uses his own daughter. Fathers with daughters. I thought about that. That is the last step. The last thing you do. Use your daughter for your enemy's demise. His envious heart has him abuse his power as king and abuse his very daughter to get his way. And at the end of the text, what do we see? Saul is unsuccessful. He is more afraid, more envious than when he started. So obviously you can see envy runs throughout this whole thing, right? A lot of times when a theme is run throughout the Old Testament, we can see it explicitly talked about in the New Testament. James chapter 1, it says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. That's what I want you to hear. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We have this inward focus of Saul time and time again, chapter after chapter. And what we've seen and what we see here explicitly in James chapter 1 is that if we give in to our own desires, if we are lured and enticed to sin, it will bring forth death. Now this language in James is a metaphor of, of a hook and a reel. It's a fishing metaphor. So the hook goes down and when it's bitten, pulled away. So that's what sin does. It pulls us away from the Lord. And that's what happened to Saul over and over and over again throughout 1 Samuel. We are, he is pulled away further and further away from God. So there's two prominent responses, right? Envy and love. So if we're going to defend against envy and pursue love, what do we do about that? First, I was thinking about this reality, what I'm about to tell you, and thinking about all the books I've read in seminary and all the theologians I've at least dipped in, the majority of them will tell you this very thing. We cannot look inside. We have to look to the character of God himself. That is the antidote for envy. It is looking to the character of God, seeing his great love for us, his willingness to send his son to die We look to the Lord because He is both just and He is the justifier. He is the one who required payment for sin and gave the payment for sin. He is the one who loves the world enough to send His Son to break into creation for us. So we must look to who God is and what He has done for us. And I'm stealing this next part from Tim Keller because I just thought it was so good. And it doesn't get better, right? So... When we do that, when we look to the character of God, our heart will be slowly converted more and more and more to love the Lord. But we have to look to Him. We have to. Trying harder will always fail you. We have to look to the Lord. Gaze upon His beauty. And remember, we have a Savior who took on flesh, who is tempted as we are, yet without sin. I'm going to leave you with this. Hebrews chapter 4. Speaking of Jesus, He says this, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is what it calls us to do, church. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus was tempted like you and me are. He was tempted like Saul was. Yet he did not envy. Yet he did not boast, but he humbled himself. He did not sin instead. He paid the price for our sin by dying on the cross. And not only did he do that, but he conquered our greatest enemy, sin and death, by raising on the third day. The text tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, to draw near in confidence to the Lord to the throne of grace, that our hearts may be converted slowly to more and more love in the Lord. Let us look to Jesus, God's true anointed one. Let us fill our life with Him and His grace. Let us pray together. Father, what a um, shocking thing it is to look at what envy can do to any one person. And we are often slow to admit that that is the shape of our hearts often. We are envious of others. We turn away from you. And Father, this morning, we just look to your son who laid his life down, who humbled himself to the greatest extent, the greatest display of love that humanity has ever seen. We come to this, your table, to experience just that, your love for us, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Father, we come here humble, knowing that we sin constantly. Help us to see that sin and to run to you even quicker. Father, we thank you for this time, this day you have marked off for us to come to come to your house and to worship you. And Father, we pray you be with us now. In the precious name of Jesus we pray, amen.